Hello and welcome to the very 63rd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I had to think about that a little bit. A podcast all about games you could play in the comfort of your own home, on the comfort of your own table, with the comfort of your own friends. Card games, board games, role-playing games, other kinds of games that don't quite fit into other categories but are interesting and we just want to cover. Isn't that right, my colleague who is with me, Quentin Smith? That is correct, my colleague Paul Good. Dean. I'll tell you what, I love nothing more than the comfort of my own friends. Uh, it's at least twice as good as the comfort of other people's friends. Um, <laughs> I find that strangers will sometimes struggle to offer comfort, but also offer the best comfort. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think if you have statistically measured that comfort, then you know better than anybody. Uh, what game should we talk about today? Uh, we have got quite the show coming up. Uh, we are going to talk about... Oh, my God. My notes are in front of me. I'm professional. You are going to be talking about uh, dice-placing stained-glass-making game Sagrada. Uh, okay. You're going to be es- escaping from 100 million BC, the new Kevin Wilson I game. Yes, I am. There's something in the document here that just reads Zelda Escape Room slash Big Puzzle Challenge. So that sounds... Hmm. <laughs> we'll find out yep. what that is later. That happened. As for me... I have been playing uh, the new, I want to say, Pandasaurus game. Oh, I, I'm having second thoughts, Paul. Pandasaurus games, that's correct. The new Keep Pandasaurus going. game, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, um, oh, which yeah. is one of the most beautiful boxes we've played in some time. Um, I am going to be talking about a secret car game for reasons that we'll get to later. And I promised this last episode, but didn't do it. This time, I'm going to make good on my promise to talk about Orléans. We we do that sometimes. We just say we've been playing something and then we don't talk about it because yeah, I'm, uh, I meant going to keep people on their feet. Yeah, I mentioned that in the comments on the on the last podcast on shutupisitdown.com that someone's like, you said you'd talk about this game and you didn't. And I said, uh, yes, we always say we're going to talk about like four or five games and we talk about four or five games in the course of the podcast. They're just not always the same ones. Um, That's true. But yeah, I think keep people flexible, limber. Um, limber. That'll keep old age away. Shall I, shall I start with the Sagrada? Well, Paul, before we get onto these games that you can spend money on, uh, I would like to tease something on the site. Uh, this week, we put up an article on shutupandsitdown.com, one of our written articles um, that sometimes do quite good traffic. Honestly, they're not just filler. Um, and something that's, done, <laughs> some, something that's done very good traffic is an article we put up this week called How to Build an Amazing Board Game Collection for $10. Um, so what this is, is, and you can Google it or you can find it on our site. We have, um, uh, well, I and our donors who were very useful. We sent out an email to all the people who subscribe and keep Shut Up and Sit Down Alive by donating. We're asking about free games and we have put together the most ludicrously good list of RPGs, card games, print and play games, completely free games, uh, just regular dice and card games, all of which are essentially free now, I thought this would be a good feature, but it was only like when I was writing it that my heart started pounding out of my chest because I realized just how good these this was. Like, honestly. A, right. Okay. There's a lot of actually really interesting stuff in here, and it's a great, like, launch pad for people. Yeah. Um, and a lot of really good feedback on the piece from um, uh, people who, uh, sure enough... Um, don't have the money to buy a lot of the games we we uh, we talk about, and we've always said on Shut Up Sit Down that we want board games to be for everybody. Everyone should feel welcome, and that's not always compatible with us being like, oh, and also spend fifty pounds on this game. Um, so instead, we've just put together this awesome list, which um, I'm happy to say we're going to be doing follow-ups to it. Like every few mm. months, we're going to be returning to this feature, backlinking them, doing additional articles on great free games. And uh, also, uh, I can tease that the next article in the series is going to be the board games that are commercial that represent the best bargains, because um, we got a whole load of those sent in from our donors too. Um and I feel like this is this feels comfortable to me, you know. Sometimes we've been we've been trying to find the direction of Shut Up and Sit Down for a few years now, and occasionally we have moments where we do something on the site, and I just it, it feels right. You know what I mean, Paul? It feels like something we should do. I I actually really enjoyed this feature, and it was really interesting going over it and seeing how many different things were in it that I forgot were out there. 
and that mm-hmm. I forgot were, you know, if you don't mind maybe printing something off or, uh, you know, laminating a card or sometimes maybe not even that. There's a lot on here that people can just, uh, you know, break out and play immediately. And, and that's not just good for people trying to get into the hobby. It's also good for people who just want to play things for free. Yeah, and um, it's kind of a side point, but um, I really appreciate the... Um you know, it's one thing to have a really extensive, expansive board game collection and people come around your house and you go, what do you want to play? And then they pick something and you skim the manual for a while. That, I don't think, is as cool as having, like, a deck of cards and some dice in your house and being able to entertain your friends, you know, just sort of, like, off the top of your head with these minimal game components. That feels so much, not just purer, but but cooler, more awesome. Like, if you can entertain people with a piece of paper and your imagination, that's... <laughs> that. Yeah. Am I making any sense when I say this? Yeah, no, it, it reminds me of the, um, from I feel like the generation sort of before us where people used to have like rules of games books and there would be 50 different card games described in these books that you could play mm. with the same deck of cards. It feels like that, but substantially yanked into the 21st century. Yeah, um, I didn't put it in the article because, I mean, it would have cost people money and the whole point of it. The article is to not spend money, but Sid Saxon, uh, I was informed, has a really good book on card games. Sid Saxon, uh, one of the most famous board game designers, made a huge impact on the field in the late 19th century. And um, he wrote a wonderful book called like Card Games Around the World and talking about... It, it just teaches you card games, but it does so in the format of traveling the world and talking about different ga- card games that are played in different places. Um, oh, lovely. But maybe the biggest surprise for me was when I got to the free role-playing game section and uh, we hit up our friends over on the Gauntlet podcast, which is an, a podcast I've been enjoying a tremendous amount recently about RPGs. And um, th- not only... I, I didn't know that like the entire rules of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition are online for free. Um, I didn't know that um, Eclipse Phase, which is a fascinating sort of day-after-tomorrow um, game that might be worth looking into if you've been enjoying Netflix series The Expanse, all of the source books for that are online, like dozens of source books, thousands of pages um, of wow. imaginative stuff that you need nothing more than a pencil and an eraser to play. Um, so cool, so cool. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say on this, Paul? No, just just I really like the feature. It was so extensive. I feel you did a really good job. Well, I, evidently not good enough because uh, this is what I was hoping. In the comments <laughs> are just tons of people pointing out all the games I missed. And that's such a delight because it just means I get to do this feature all over again uh, down the line. And um, That's true. It just gives us a bigger collection of stuff to point people at. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, if you would like to read how to build an amazing board game collection for $10, uh, you can Google that or go to shutupandsitdown.com and find it near the front page or use the search function on our site. But as promised, Paul, let's talk about some gosh darn hot cardboard board games. I was hoping for more <clears throat> adjectives right, there, but right. it didn't happen. What you got for me, buddy? Well, I know that you love Windows because you're always talking about Windows. Like, I, I can't, am. a day doesn't go by when you're not like, Paul, you know, I saw some glass uh, sort of mounted vertically and I was really excited because I could see through it, but I could also see it. And this was the problem and, with uh, with early Shuttleman's Down, of course, is because we'd get donation money and I would just piss it all away on a window. Yeah, um, yeah. And obviously I, didn't even, it was embarrassing, didn't have room for it in the house, so it would just go outside. And a lot of a lot of those, the thing is a window isn't just for Christmas, and if you don't look after it, it's just going to die in your garden. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, where's this going? I, but, I don't understand. This is embarrassing for no, you to bring up, frankly. No windows, I'm so sorry, um, no windows die in Sagrada, the game of dice windows, which is it's sort of a dice placement, dice drafting game where you have this tableau in front of you this little cardboard tableau wherein you have to you pop lots of dice on it and the the tableau is like a sort of a key or a a legend and it says like you know only yellow dice can go here or only dice that show number five can go here and you have to gradually build this pattern putting dice down uh following the the instructions in front of you on the legend but at the same time also not putting dice of the same color next to each other and not putting dice of the same value next to each other and they're all okay. sort of cha- transparent, like jewel, gem-like dice. And the idea is you're gradually building this shiny, sh- uh, shiny stained glass window. Uh, each turn, you and whoever else is playing, I-, I think it's probably best with two players. I'll say why in a minute. Uh, you'll basically you have this massive bag of dice full of all these colourful shiny dice. You pull them out every turn. You have um, two per player plus one. 
roll them, you see what colours you've got, you see what numbers you've got, and you take turns just uh, putting them on your board. And that's sort of basically it. And I got it, and I played it, and I thought, that's quite nice, that's fine, that's an enjoyable game. And then I played it again with some other people and thought, that's that's nice, that's enjoyable. Uh, you know, that's quite good. And I keep breaking it out and playing it, and there isn't... I feel really silly saying this because it's not like it's not a game that I love, but it's suddenly become this game that I like and I keep just wanting to show people and have a game with. Oh, sure. It's something weirdly addictive about it. And it starts off really easy. Whatever, um, th- there's a whole bunch of cards that have different dice pans you have to follow and they all have a difficulty rating. So you can, you know, try try and build a relatively easy pan or you can try and build a more difficult one. Uh, oh, so a bunch over of the cards- course of the game, you might build multiple windows. You only build when you select at the start of the game and you have oh, an idea right. of how difficult it's going to be. The more difficult it is, the more favor tokens you get, which is cool because you need to spend those using tools. And then the tools are randomly selected each game and they uh, they change how you can play. Like they let you move dice around your window or they let you disobey a rule by putting like two dice of the same color next to each other. Mm. Um I've got, I have to explain a few things without swearing in a minute. And also the victory point criteria changes every game because you get points for putting dice down, but you also get points for like if you have a row of dice that are all a different color or if you have a column of dice or a different – or, you know, every pair of threes and fours, you're going to get points, which just makes all, everything that you do harder because it turns out when you start putting dice next to each other and you can't have the same numbers, that's easy because you just have a four and you're like, oh, I'll just put a six next to that. When you have, like, I don't know, 15 dice and they're all different colors and different numbers, it changes from a game where you're just trying to put some dice down to where, like, you and your friends, your mouth is just like a sewer of swear words as somebody rolls all these dice and looks at them and just rage descends upon the table as it's like, there are no fours. All I need is a four. Just rolled, like, we have rolled seven dice. How are there no fours? Well, there's one four and you take it. And someone else just flips out. And I, I don't understand how this happens, but you get... Well, I do. It's probability. You get to, like, the final turns of the game, and it's furious, and everybody gets mad. And the thing is, for, like, I've done it with more than two people, and it's enjoyable, but I feel it gets very, very slow near the end because you spend so much time selecting stuff. But with more people, you're mostly focusing on what you're doing, whereas with one other person, you're much more aware of what they need, and then it becomes like a jerk fest where you mm. just, like... Uh, you know, I could take either of these dice, but if I take this one, that is absolutely the die that you need right now. So I'm taking that. Yeah. And also, this, but also you build things and you don't realize like three turns ahead, you're like, I've just put this thing next to this other thing. I actually, I have a hole here I can't fill. And I didn't Ever? know that because I screwed myself three turns ago. And it's, it's, it's so simple. And yet I, I keep playing it and I keep busting it out and showing it to people and watching people get really angry um so i think i'm gonna have to do a written review of it and i feel silly because i'm not going to be like i recommend this i love it but i'm going to be like i had really good fun with this and it could be a really cool intro game and it will surprise you well that's the thing isn't it it's that on paper you know we love mechanics at chatham sit down and we love arboretum and we'll play arboretum and we'll tell people to buy arboretum when it comes back when they do another print run and it comes back in stock which should be soon hopefully um so i hear but arboretum's not the zed man deluxe card game that i play all the time the one i play all the time is archaeology which is so stupid and it's just luck and yet it's easy and it's fun to show people and i don't know breeziness is i think very important um but when you're reviewing a game it doesn't seem so high up on the priority list you know yeah i agree but in reality just like a holiday in a hot place uh breeziness is important our reader mail this week in the mailbag section (laughs) later on is all about uh uh, fatigue and heat. Uh, so let's tease that. Um, I have been playing Wasteland Express. Paul, why don't you ask me Speaking about Wasteland Express? Speaking of fatigue and heat. Okay, so this, as I understand, this is like a Mad Maxi type game where you have a, you have a vehicle that you drive around some apocalyptic future, and you can you can like fight bandits and deliver packages, and you modify your vehicle, which like adds weapons and. Like bigger engines, is that right? Yes. Were you to hold the copy of Waste? Oh, the full name of the game is Wasteland Express Delivery Service. And were you to hold this box in your hand, uh, based on excitement of holding a shrink-wrapped box, you would probably be more excited than 
by any other game we've reviewed this year. It's big, it's heavy, the colours are vibrant, and it is illustrated uh, almost entirely by um, uh, Riccardo uh, Bercielli, um, who is, I, I, I hope that's the right name. Um, and he has this very, like he's a comic book artist or, or a pop artist. I don't know the term. I don't know anything about art. I'm a Philistine. Um, but he has these gorgeous... Um, drawings of a very idiosyncratic Mad Max but a bit funnier and a bit yes. sexier and a bit more packed with detail yeah um, and in this game you're going to put out your random wasteland of, of tiles and then you're going to drive around as the delivery service and you're going to deliver water to Bullet Town and then you're going to buy bullets in Bullet Town and you'll take the bullets to new apocalypse town and there you will buy a gun that goes onto your truck because your truck is a little sequence of squares with number of slots for upgrades and you slot the upgrades in and now you've got enough guns Paul that those raiders that were chasing you around the landscape like a little sausage they're chasing you they're (laughs) chasing you down enough sand dune chase that sausage chase that gotta chase that sausage Um, but now your sausage has guns so you turn around you attack the raiders you take their cargo you sell the cargo so that's that's what we've got it's a pick up and deliver game the last time we reviewed some a very thematic pickup at the liver game was uh, Merchant of Venus, which we did on the site as a written review. Fantasy Flight's new edition of that insane game. And this is similar. It's like so many components, beautiful components, by the way. Like every individual character you can play, they have their own beautiful truck. Um, the little raider trucks uh, uh, have slots in the actual back, so you can put the tiny little plastic barrels of water in the back of the raider trucks, and then when you shoot them, you can take their stuff. Um, and also, it's got the in, the same inlay technology that we saw from um, Max vs. Minions, where every single component in the game, every little deck of cards, every you know pile of tokens, fits into a piece of injection molded plastic. So it's like the game comes with like two dozen little cups to hold itself in, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, well, so, all of this sound, immediately sounds really like tactile and interesting and pretty and. Oh, did I mention custom dice? It's got like 12 custom dice. Um, It's got 10 different scenarios for you to play. It's got tons of cards. And it was not something that Matt and I enjoyed once we got about a third of the way through the game. Um, So yeah, long story short, um, we did not really enjoy and would not recommend Wasteland Express Delivery Service for all the fact like the the art design and the packaging is one of the best things we've looked at all year. The actual game, um, I'll tell you what happened is we we were sort of picking things up and delivering and that was quite exciting and then we started getting upgrades for our truck and that was exciting and then we looked at what we had to do to actually win um, as opposed to doing this like gentle pick up and deliver stuff and it was like you know, uh, buy seven artifacts or attack all four raider outposts. And that is an abominable amount of turns of just driving across the desert, driving to a wasteland outpost, rolling some dice, and then spending another 25 in-game minutes waiting for other players to take their turn so you can cross the wasteland and do that again. Um, mm. It was crazy. I was going to say, I mean, is it, it the was sort of thing then where, if you don't mind me saying, it's like some of the turns you just move, you don't really do anything. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. Um, and right, sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, and also the board is very difficult to pass. If you're playing a game where you're just trying to pick the most efficient route through the wasteland, then the the you know even finding individual towns where missions are sending you is quite difficult. Like um, Matthew just put up an amazing video on Cool Ghosts, our video game side project about Zelda, where he asked the question, yes. "Where is where is the game? Where are players actually looking?" And he, he looked at the new Zelda a lot and ask that question because it's interesting that the game in that game exists in uh you know mountain vistas and uh and sort of like the mist surrounding you it doesn't exist in inventory screens and mini maps wasteland express delivery service the game existed in squinting at little little bits of desert uh for your sausage truck to to draw i don't know why i'm stuck on the word sausage um i'm just i'm trying to make myself complaining about a game for five minutes more interesting um, but yeah, you, 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 the game in Wasteland Express is you looking at the map and trying to find the shortest path between two points, which isn't very fun. The game is looking for, you've got some water and looking for places to sell it and looking at a few different towns and then calculating the different routes between those. That's not very fun. And Matt and I just couldn't stop ourselves from, um, trying to, uh, figuring out what we would do with this art and with this theme. And we would do, 
uh, and with, with the idea of driving trucks across the desert. And we would do stuff like Galaxy Trucker where you bolt things onto your truck, which is a system they've got. And then when you get shot, maybe you roll a dice and a certain part falls off your truck. But instead what they've got is you take damage that just sort of invalidates part of your truck. So bits of it sort of stop working, but always in the best possible way for you. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it did not work for us at all, which was a real shame. Um, hmm. But... We then immediately played a different game about driving that was completely awesome and featured a bag, just like Sagrada. And I think the theme of this podcast might be bags, because right. we, we played a game called Automobiles. Uh, do you know this one? Right. No, I don't. Are you aware of trains? Yes, I am aware of trains. The uh, <laughs> As in the game, the, yes, and also yes. the concept. <laughs> the concept yes. and the game. So you and I um, reviewed uh, Trains, part of uh, AEG's series, because they put out a game called Trains, a game called Planes, and a game called Automobiles. The Planes one supposedly isn't very good, but uh, a while back Matt Thrower reviewed Automobiles for us, and it's just, much like Trains, the theme is, is, is just automobiles, and the players are automobiles, and you do some automobiles, and then the game finishes. But it's so good! <laughs> it is so good, Paul. Just like Matt Thrower um, promised us on in our review, uh, which is on Shut Up and Sit Down, if you want to search for it, it's so so good. Um, it's a it's a deck builder sort of. So mm-hmm. you know, you, as you play, you get you kind of upgrade your car and you you remove normal bits car. of the car that you don't want. It's an, it's <laughs> just a normal car, which is a reference to the fact that when you play trains, your deck is made up of a bunch of cards that say normal train, normal and it's train. <laughs> laughably boring. Um, and and this is really the same thing. You basically start with a bag and. Uh, I'm, I'm confusing myself. So you start. Imagine you start with a deck, and you've got your normal car cards. And then, as you draw them and don't use them, you can use them to buy different car cards that accelerate you around the track. Um, except it's not cards; it's cubes, and your deck is a bag. Um, so you start with 12 cubes in the bag you pull them out and there's some third gear cubes and a fourth gear cube and then you go these are rubbish and then you uh, use your manager cube to remove a third gear cube from the bag and then you use your fourth gear cubes to pay for a fifth gear cube um, and oh then God. The, it's it, but it works gloriously partially just due to this great system of wear where if yeah. you know when you're playing a deck builder and occasionally you get like a bad card that goes in your deck and that's that's really kind of a problem in a deck building game yes um, in automobiles, because of how the how the wear can work, if you go really, really fast and you use like a injection <laughs> boosted engine and yeah. you just drive insanely fast, you don't get like a bad card. You get something you can get eight or nine cubes of wear that all go into your bag at the same time. Um, but that's fine because they're cubes. And then you can have things like a card that removes all the wear in your pile instantly, which is actually quite easy to do. That would be unbelievably tedious in a card-based game. But in a bag game, in a bag-based game with the technology in a, of in bags... In a cube game, yeah, you it's, can easily it, see those cubes. You can It's very them. easy to dump a whole load of nonsense cubes into your bag or remove all cubes of a certain colour. Um, and it was just a delight. It was really surprising, really thought-provoking, really interesting, uh, and completely the opposite of Wasteland Express, which was stunning to look at, and there was no game. Automobiles was a phenomenal game that was just nothing to look at. But overall, I'd I was going to say it must be just you know abstract cubes and just bits bits of wood. It it's a game that's almost like half in your head, I guess. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, you've uh, yes, you you draw a yellow cube out of a bag, and that action is incredibly exciting because the cube on paper represents your manager. So God knows what. <laughs> ha- and then if you draw like four yellow cubes out of the bag, then I mean, I had it. It makes no sense thematically as well. I guess as as the art design, it's just a joke. You would have loved it, Paul, because. What what won me the game was that I drew four yellow cubes at once, which meant I had four managers at the same time who all made phone calls and all told my blue engine cubes to get back in the bag. So I had all of my engine cubes come out at once, which propelled me around the racetrack with the speed of like... I don't know, like a Benny Hill sketch. And I managed to lap where I previously was in a single turn of movement. It was... Okay, that that sounds pretty good. We've already reviewed it on the site, so I don't want to talk about it a lot now. But never mind Wasteland Express delivery service. We might steer you clear of that one. But do go and read the automobiles review on Shut Up and Sit Down and uh, and take another look at that because, oh, oh, Paul, oh, automobiles is a great game with a great little bag. <laughs> okay. But you know what? I am kind of keen now. And I the way that you say that I would have loved it, yeah, I can see myself being very – I can see myself laughing a lot at that. 
it was just really funny. We put on the, um, are, you, are you aware of uh, the video game Daytona and uh, what its soundtrack sounds like? Yeah, I think so, yes. Yes, so if people would like, uh, what I recommend for a good time is get like some, uh, you know, some beers or some sugary drinks and get automobiles, put it on the table, get ready to play. And as soon as you finish the rules explanation and you start playing, put on the soundtrack of the video game Daytona and I think Matt and I were laughing for something like 60 minutes straight. And then for the back half an hour of the game, we were just in- incredibly focused because we both really wanted to win. And it was just a phenomenal challenge. Oh, wow. Yeah, honestly, wow. it was it was a delight. It was so tiring learning. It's always really tiring learning a big game with a million components and setting it all up. And yes, then playing absolutely. It and, reali- and realizing that you, you're not having that good of a time. Um, we've all been there. Um and we were just so wiped out. And we had some lunch and automobiles didn't just cheer us up. It cheered, it, it made the day awesome. Um, uh, so, right, that's me wittering for far too much time. Uh, no, that's talk, excellent. Let's talk about um, another game uh, that is a thematic, uh, sweaty, th- sweatily themed game. Let's talk about Escape from 100 million BC. It is sweatily themed. So um, imagine, you know, you're minding your own business with your time machine. Something goes wrong. <laughs> Um, okay. As could. I mean, you know, it says so on the box and everything, and they warn you. You get thrown back into the past. Uh, the machine explodes in a dramatic way, scatters pieces everywhere, and then you and your time-traveling colleagues have to run around and, and pick them up. Problem right. being that you're in the past, so there are, there are, A, things like dinosaurs wandering around, which potentially a problem because they could hurt you, uh, and B, because you've, you, you know, you've messed about with time, um, you've caused what's called you, you've caused what is called a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a word I'm just going to make this up uh, a time mess is the technical <laughs> term and other people like Theodore Roosevelt or Albert Einstein or Amelia Earhart or just you know Roman legionnaires are falling out of time as well and they're falling what, out of time really? around you. He's falling out of time. This is this is actually true. And if you read anything to do with time machines, this is the risk of what could happen. So you have to run around gathering up um, all the lost people out of time, throwing them back through time portals, also finding all the bits of your machine, plugging them back into the machine, then going back forward into the future. But at the same time, trying not to cause a paradox, trying not right. to you know accidentally change history too much. I've been slightly this distracted. Is by I've, I've, I've fired up a, a picture of some of the game's cards and um they look like cards you might draw from an event deck or something and we've got stegosaurus brachiosaurus yep. velociraptor yep. and frederick yep. nietzsche yeah <laughs> i forgot about that yeah he's he's also a bit difficult because the thing is when you meet people out of time some of them are very easy to uh convince to follow you and to go back through their time portal like albert einstein is like you know, I should go back to my normal time. I don't belong here. Whereas Nietzsche, work, I think, is a bit more awkward and doesn't yeah. understand what's happening. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? Okay. He, yeah, he would. This is this felt immediately very similar to kind of Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror because uh, this board that you explore that gradually has all these tiles you lay down that represent all this uh, prehistoric, uh, you know, stuff you can... Uh, hack your way through all this jungle and all these swamps and things that are w- full of dinosaurs waiting to be discovered or, uh, you know, strange encounters. It, f- it fundamentally has this mechanic where, war- like, time warps burp out people regularly, which felt immediately a lot like, oh, I'm playing Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror, oh, where portals right. burp things out, and then I have yeah. to go and close them. I have all these different decks of cards that I turn over depending on what thing happens, and it's usually just another monster or another encounter. I have an increasing amount of equipment that I gather. Um, and gathering equipment is a good idea because at the end of the game, uh, you rifle through all of the equipment in the equipment deck that you didn't find because that represents stuff that you left behind in history, which is okay. bad because if you leave a lot of stuff behind, you cause a paradox. Okay. And it's um, it, it's one of those games that get, I want to say again, a bit like Arkham Horror where... You you can be playing it for quite a long time to gather all the gear that you need to walk around, discover all the stuff that you need. But your final few turns are very similar to like your early few turns. Where uh. It's like I move into a new space. I roll some dice to fight a dinosaur. I find a new piece of equipment, which is a gun, and I put some bullets in the gun. And then I take a piece of the time machine back to um, the bit in the middle. And it was okay, but it was it was a lot of 
decks, a lot of things to find, a lot of things to sort of encounter or do. But sort of fundamentally as a game and as a mechanic, it was it was okay. It, it just looks, had a lot of stuff making you roll dice. Yeah, the, I'm looking at the board now with all of its hexagons and it has a lot of walls, which um, is, it, it's sort of reminding me of games from the 1980s where you would have a big expansive uh, a bunch of corridors to run down. Um, and mm. that was that was thought of as um, you know like more exciting because it is more exciting than you know snakes and ladders or or, or a lot of Roland moves where there is a straight line that yes. you go down. And this seems like well, obviously, what's better than that is to have a bunch of passages for you to go down. But that doesn't always feel very liberating in 2017. I mean, it's I I like that it had um, for every hex that you explore, you draw a hex out of a pile, you flip it over, and it'll have something on the other side, which is that you found a piece of equipment or you found a herbivore or a carnivore. Or you've just had an interesting random encounter. So what's the sort of strategy that we're talking about here? It's basically about being as quick as possible because you you have this track around the board that is basically the paradox track, which is the longer you play for and uh, particularly like if you kill dinosaurs or if you don't collect people, this number really only goes up. And there's ways to slightly reduce it, but it only reduces back to certain markers where it can't fall below. So this, it's almost like a time limit. It's constantly increasing. And you're doing your best to mitigate that by finding new bits of gear, sending people back to the time they belong in, um, and finishing everything as quickly as possible. And it's basically, it's like how how quickly, how efficiently, how quickly can you explore? How can you make the best use of the gear that you can to sort of make sure that you roll as many dice as possible? And that's sort of it. And then, um, I mean, a thing that I really did enjoy is... At the end of the game, you never know quite how well you have done because you never, you look up all the equipment you didn't find, you didn't collect, you add these values together, and then you cross-reference it with something in the manual that says to you, uh, you know, well done, you didn't cause too much of a paradox, or <laughs> you've accidentally, you know, your score's a little bit too high and the human race doesn't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> so did you but, have a good and time? And the thing is, like, I had uh, a, a reasonably good time doing it, but now having like played it and seen those things in it, I know that even though that so much is randomized, you know, it's full of decks of cards and decks of tiles that I'm going to lay down, everything will happen in a different order, but I'll see most of the similar things again and it'll probably feel very similar when I play it next time, so I don't particularly want to. Ah, uh, yeah. Credit to Fantasy Flight for making the way that they make Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror are, are just, those decks are so big that you, I mean, We've talked with in the past how Eldritch and Arkham Horror aren't really for us, but my goodness, they certainly do what they'd say on the tin in terms of every time you play, you see different cards. And then if, yes. you, pl- if you get through it four or five or six times, and you can just buy an expansion and completely redefine the game. I mean, there's, there would definitely be different things if I played again, but I think it would feel very similar. I think it would yeah. fundamentally like go the same way. I was interested in what you said earlier about um, how your final few turns are the same as your first few turns, which is... Uh, one of those things that, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a problem until you realize how much better and more exciting games are when they have an arc. And, uh, you know, right. you have the the first act that's about building up and the second act that's about realizing you've got yourself into trouble. And then the third act, which is about desperately trying to, you know, uh, tie off loose ends before the game ends type thing. Right. And I, I was thinking about this this weekend and I was thinking about like this might be one reason why I've always quite enjoyed a lot of deck building games because I feel, hmm. you know, they naturally build and they change as you're playing them. And something like Dominion, which I still like like years on, is... A game, you know, you start by building, uh, grabbing a few very fundamental cheap things because you can't afford more expensive stuff. And then the mid game is using more expensive things to really get an engine going. And then the end game is trying to just maybe burn cards or clean out your deck and just fill it with stuff that will score you points. And that has a, you know, a fundamental, like you say, kind of an arc to it. Yeah, or even just um, Flam Rouge, which we re- reviewed a while back, and which yeah. I'm so ex- I'm so excited to hear that um, it's got expansions coming and that we'll be able to yeah. return to it because Flam Rouge is just a game where you start slow and then you have to at some point in the end start speeding up and finally break away, and it's all about when you do that, and it's such an exciting decision. Um, uh, it's, oh, it's good, Flam Rouge. I really like it. I really do <laughs> like that game a lot. Are you what just getting really tired? It's not called like, you know, if we'd followed the naming convention of automobiles, it would have just been called bicycles, but it's not. It's called yeah. Flam Rouge, which is which doesn't even mean red flame like I thought it did. It means red flag. Um, but it just sounds great in English. 
Good it, work. It does. It does. Good work naming uh, Flam Rouge. Do we want to talk about Orléans briefly? We should, because otherwise it'll be the second podcast running um, where I promised it and not talked about it. Have you played Orléans, Paul? I don't think I have. I'm pretty sure I've seen it in the wild once or twice. Yes, it. this is a 2014 game from designer Reiner Stockhausen, and it is a German-style game. Um, it is a game about um, building up a little engine. Um, it, kind of, I, I want to call it like a worker placement game, where you, you have some workers and then you send them out to do things. Um, but... Uh, the reason this game is so interesting, so electrifying, um, it won a bunch of awards at the time. We've got a very positive review <clears throat> on the site on Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, not written by us. Oh, yes, by, by John. Yeah. And um, so uh, what we have here is a game where you acquire people. Uh, you start off with a like a peasant and a baker and a candlestick maker, and I'm going to get all of these wrong. Um, <clears throat> but then you have this big player board in front of you where you can assign particular people. So, for example, if you send a, you know, a knight and a... I really can't remember any... A knight and a, a fisherman, then maybe you could move your trade marker on the main board in the middle of everyone. Whereas if you send, like, a, um, a lumberjack and a fisherman and a priest, then maybe you can get a knight because, I don't know, they all go together and knock on the door of the castle like they're trick-or-treating and then you get a knight and all of these discs these discs are are people all of these people you're sending out are discs and again you have a bag a lovely lovely little bag and you put all your people in the bag and you don't know who's going to come out of the bag paul maybe it's your new knight <laughs> that you just got but maybe it's a fisherman. maybe it's your manager maybe it's maybe it's managers and they just say we need to go faster um and then you win uh but it is it is interesting um because I mean, the central puzzle in it is that you want more people because more people allows you to do more things, like in any worker placement game, except um, there's just a load of really very cute little problems to do with stuff like, uh, you know, monks are truly fantastic because uh, they're, they're wild and, uh, you know, they're learned people. <laughs> but yeah. monks are wild. We know this. <laughs> this is this is truth. Um, but to get monks, you need, uh, I don't know, like, let's say knights. Uh, you need a bunch of knights. So the first step of your strategy might be get a bunch of knights, and then you have your knights, and then you get monks, and then your deck, your deck, your bag rather. I always call bags decks, which is just hopelessly confusing to anyone who's new well, to board games. You know, it's fundamentally a similar thing, right? Yeah, it's fundamentally similar to deck building. But anyway, so you've got your your wild monks, and they're having a wild time, and you're gonna you know collect cheese and wine uh, i haven't even said what the hell you're doing in this game which says something about um the theme on it but um yeah you're 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 generic merchant barons in orleans i believe the manual cares about as much about um explaining exactly what you're doing as i did just then um there's mm-hmm. really no fluff at all you've got some medieval people and you are collecting medieval things such as jugs of wine and victory points um anyway but so in this scenario i'm describing where you've got your monks that's great but all those knights that you got to get the monks well now you've just got loads of knights in your bag and then you look at the player board and then you get into clever stuff like you remember how i described you need multiple combinations of people to um to get an to finish an activity and make it a trigger like you send the knight and the knight to get a monk if you don't fill that activity up, uh, so if you put one of the two knights required to get a monk, then the knight in question just sits there, which is great because they're out of your bag. <laughs> and if you don't want them, so you can use these sort of like half-finished activities to keep people out of the bag and therefore um, make your bag a more efficient machine. Um, and have a better idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. Yes, exactly that. Um, and it was delightful. The The tactile act of putting um, medieval men into a bag is just as good as like any deck building game. Um, the puzzle felt fresh and new. I've not played anything quite like it. Um, it was very colourful. It was relatively simple. Um, I really, really enjoyed Olio. And... Um, the uh, it was the I tell you what it was the first Euro game in a while though that I felt went on too long. Um, oh. And recently I've been playing a bunch of games where it's like oh, I really wish this game was like ten minutes longer. Um, Great Western Trail might be one example of that. Um, or what did I play recently? Uh, Roll for the Galaxy, where it's like, but I was just getting going, and then the game ends. Um, and that felt annoying to me, but my god my god it's better than what i experienced in Orleans of just like the game going on for 15 minutes longer than i wanted it to um 
And being denied 15 minutes turns out is a way better feeling than just being sort of sat at the table and, and tapping it and, and wondering, you know, what's for dinner? Maybe it's sausages. I, I, mm, we're back to sausages again. Sausages in a bag is yeah. what's for dinner. <laughs> um, That's it was a, good. What would an English meal be? It would be something like meat in a bag. What's for dinner today? Meat in Have a you, sorry, how, I'm so sorry. You moved to Canada. How quickly you forget our, our fine delicacies of things like salad cream, uh, bourbon oh. biscuits... Mm. Um, white pudding, Ugh. Uh, aspic, gray gray pudding, <laughs> Beg your pardon, resin pudding. <laughs> okay, I thought you were. I, I tell you what, though. Thing. Um, I mean, it, it looked. I remember reading the review and being really excited and thinking that it, it also looks very pretty and it looks very. Um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It just looks like there is so much going on all the time. It looks like you're constantly engaged. Well, yeah, it's got the um, it's got the thing of uh, that a lot of Euro games have, where uh, if people aren't aware, a Euro game is um, a game which tends to involve players focusing on their own economy rather than actively uh, attacking or interfering with one another. Um, popularized in Germany, which is why it's called a Euro game, um, coined by Americans. I'm rambling now. It's got the traditional Euro game thing where you look at the table and it's covered in boards. There's like a board, uh, there's a main board, there's a sideboard of public works, there's everyone's personal board, there's packs, there's coins, there's piles of wood. Um, but the thing that's cute in Orléans is like every one of these boards is doing something just a bit different. Um, your personal player board is covered in discs. Everyone has a bag. The public works board is covered by discs that people have like ejected from their own cities. Um, there's tracks that count how many discs everyone has. It, like everything about it is sideways. Um, hmm. It really, really, a, a perfectly fun little game with expansions if you want to expand it. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, although, yes, uh, criticism number one, I felt it maybe was a tiny bit long. Criticism number two, uh, there's basically no player interaction at all, which might be your yeah. jam. Um, if you like eating jam by yourself and not smearing jam on other people and ruining whatever they were putting jam on. Um, but I think mm. jam is best enjoyed with friends, much like comfort. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, a very solitary jam-related experience. You know what I did that involved friends but no jam? Okay, tell me. Was uh, It wasn't an escape room. So I thought, and I think maybe some of us thought we were going to do this Zelda-themed escape room. Okay, um, so you thought you were going to an escape room. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't. It was more, <laughs> if you imagine, like, about 100 it, people in a big hotel ballroom but divided into separate teams of, I think we had six, or was it eight? I think it was six. Okay, um, I'm good. Wait, I'm, we, wait. <laughs> yep. what, what, what is this? I, it's a good question. Um, it was basically a whole bunch of Zelda-themed puzzles that you play in a large room where, like, if you imagine the edge of the room are all different Zelda-related locations where there is an actor or a performer, like, playing a Zelda-related character, and it's like, this is a temple of something, or this is a shop, or this is a thing. You start at your table uh, with a bunch of puzzles in a folder, that, but basically on paper. Um, and I won't spoil anything, but there's... Initially, Wait, you think you're just doing. Spoiler you, you initi- for who? Paul, what's this called? How did it? How did it come to exist? You're describing this like you wandered into a, you know, like a, a hotel ballroom and just started hallucinating. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of what happened. Uh, it's it's called Defenders of the Triforce, and it uh, because it, it's called a real escape game that immediately made us think, oh, it's an escape room, rather than sort of a more public thing where. Uh, you start off solving puzzles at your own table involving some of the sort of documents and props that you have. And then things get a bit more dynamic as you start moving around and some of the solutions to things get a bit more sort of abstract or a bit cannier or cleverer in ways that, that I thought were fairly good. Was this a but, marketing um, stunt? I don't think so. Okay. So I'm, go- I'm going to put a couple of very, uh, what's the word, footnotes or... Um, uh, what's the the word I'm looking for? It's when caveats or something like that. I I know nothing about Zelda. Actually, <laughs> it's a thing that like th- there is Zelda the princess. There's Link with has the hat and the sword, and then there's like one of them. They time travel. He smashes pots. Like I know a lot of the basic things. Uh, it turns out actually I didn't know, need to know a lot of this. Okay, wait. Hang um, on. I, so not that I doubt everything you're describing me, but if mm-hmm. you know nothing about Zelda. Yep. Is it possible you went to bingo? No. 
I'm okay. pretty sure about that because of the fact that we we ran from place to place and we would like give NPC performers items and then they would give us clues or they'd send us somewhere else so we'd go back to our table with okay okay like just making sure that we would play with um, it uh, and you know it was it was actually really quite interesting I I imagine the reason that you play in a big setting with like you know a hundred people or whatever is because that's their most efficient way to run it. They can run it for lots of people at the same time because you don't actually interact with any of the other groups that are playing at any point. Uh, what they're doing is irrelevant. It doesn't affect the speed at which you solve any of the puzzles or challenges. It's just their way of, like, mass running a thing. It was it, it, it was it was interesting and it was fun. I think if you talk to some of the people that I did it with, they had an even better time than me. I don't think anybody had a bad time. But, oh, my goodness, the experience of being in a room of just, like, 100 people and all putting on zelda hats it was like being a very very odd convention okay right first off i'm going to have to uh fact check you here um you described the hat as a zelda hat zelda is the name of link's horse uh you're describing a link's hat no it's not (laughs) it's the name of his sword (laughs) sorry yeah link hat um yeah I mean, that, yeah, it was just like, you know, that usually because we go to a lot of conventions, we we understand that sort of world and fit in. And we're not confused if we see someone walking past, you know, cosplaying as a white walker or as Mr. <laughs> Spock or something. Yeah. But this is this was me in a space full of like people who inevitably were all going to probably know more about this game than I was. And I <laughs> was trying to pretend to also be a Zelda Link person with my hat on thinking if I just put this on, I'd just fit in. What, what's the Triforce? Okay, this... Oh, right, and it's made up these three... Like, I don't know this. I know it's been around for like 20 years. I just don't know. I'm on the website now and it's touring. Would you recommend people go to Real Escape Games' Defenders of the Triforce in collaboration with The Legend of Zelda? What a title. I, mm, yeah, here's, so here's the thing. The other thing that actually interested me and why I thought I'd talk about it a bit. It isn't actually... Because it's not just an escape room. It's like a travelling event. It is uh, moving around North America at the moment to quite a lot of different places. And because uh, it was more exciting than I first thought and some of the puzzles and props are actually quite clever, I would say check it out. And actually, if you are uh, a fan of anything Zeldry, you might really, really enjoy it. The performers involved in it were really quite good. Mm. Uh, there were elements of it that were incredibly cheesy and incredibly tacky but then there were certain puzzles or things that we did where it's suddenly like that is fundamentally really simple but really clever I'm so, remi- uh, sorry go on what uh, the way no no you should go <laughs> i was just gonna say so it was like it was a lot um like i came into it expecting very little and it actually you know really kind of impressed me Okay, that's good. Um, I remember Jeff Engelstein, uh, designer of Space Cadets and Space Cadet Dysteal, and soon Pit Crew will be looking at that on Shut Up and Sit Down soon. Um, I remember him talking about uh, they did uh, Space Cadets Live. Um, so rather than... Because Space Cadets is a wonderfully goofy board game where you know someone's the captain and someone's the engineer and someone's the weapons officer. Um, but they had it in a ballroom so that an entire table of people was the weapons team and then engineering was a whole I didn't do this but engineering was a whole table of people who had like giant tennis balls or something and each tennis ball represented some energy and then the amount of tennis balls that were like hurriedly couriered over to your weapons table or whatever was how much energy you had for that thing so all the engineers are literally sprinting around the room all this kind of stuff. I might have got that, almost all of that wrong, but that's the gist of what they did. That, that is really cool, and I like that sort of thing. And there's something about being in a large group of people doing it that gives it more energy. Um, I, I wish there had been like some cross-team elements or some way that you could help each other or affect each other, you know, not detrimentally, but... Um, you know, mostly it was just like you'd be queuing up to a location because you would have thought about a clue and you would have thought something cool to do. And you're like, right, I have to run over to the temple. And there'd just be two other teams in front of you at the <laughs> temple for whatever reason because they had, they'd either got the same thing or they'd got something wrong and they'd gone to the wrong place. And you're just waiting for the, the performer to, you know, have an in character interaction with them before you move on. I hate this so much. I hate um, all the live action games, uh, escape rooms or, um, you know, uh, big sort of uh, run around zombie games or LARPs or, or all of this stuff that you pay for and yet you have to do with other punters. Like, and if it's, if it's my friends, then that's fine because we're all kind of giggling together. But if it's people I don't know, it's just awkward and... 
and it, it, mm, yeah, I really mm. am an absolute killjoy about this stuff. I mean, at least, I mean, everyone goes back to Punch Drunk, the famous theatre company that have put on like The Drowned Man and Faust and other performances that are just masterpieces of interactive theatre uh, and pushing the whole boat forward. And they realise one of the first things you do is you put the entire audience in masks so no one else has to look at anyone else's stupid face. <laughs> wow. I mean, for me, immersion is key. It's why I gave enough of a, a, a crap, I don't know, about this stuff to to to, to, to de- dedicate my life to a board game website. And I really lose my mind when it's like, I, I think I would I would go mad if I would play Defenders of the Triforce. I think I might I might sort of try and escape out of a window because you don't you know how I love what? windows. Ah, and we've gone full circle. I was just going to say, I've gone to the website to look at some pictures. that They've taken pictures at every location. They haven't put the Vancouver pictures up yet, but they put the Edmonton pictures up, and they're all, because they're in portrait, uh, none of them have been rotated, so they're all sideways pictures that someone, whoever the event photographer is, has just they, taken yeah, put them all on the website. Yeah, they 90 degrees all, to the left, yeah. To the left, so they're all... And why? Why? It's kind this of a bit Twilight fundamentally... Zone. It's like they all sort of crawled up the wall like insects to solve this puzzle. Ah, uh, just all these Zelda teams of people uh, on their sides. But yeah, that was that was interesting, and I it certainly makes me want to be more open minded about doing more events like that, if nothing else. Ooh, put your hand in my mailbag. Uh, oh, I'm reaching into the folk bag, Paul. Uh, the folk bag? That No, this is entirely the wrong bag. Uh, hang on, Rude. let me go and get the... Okay, I've got the mail bag now, and I'm just... Oh, God, the the the, not, the noose. Is that what you call it? The stuff at the top of the bag? The string that holds, the, holds it shut? The drawstring. The drawstring, yeah, not the it's noose. It's very tight, but I don't think it's a... It's, it's sort of rubbery, uh, and all the letters inside are wet, but I think I found a good one. Um... Justin that, that R looks really moist. Yep, sorry, it, it's absolutely, <laughs> and I don't think this is the original color of the letter either. Um, Justin writes, hello, shut up and sit down crew. I am a graduate student studying counseling in America. I wanted to tickle your neurons with a bit of info that you might find interesting regarding your discussion of decision making in board games in episode 54. So that tells you something about how long it takes us to get through to letters that are sent in to contact at shutupandsitdown.com. Send in your letters. Uh, Matt mentioned that after he's played a heavy Euro game for a while, it seems like he's lost the ability to make choices quickly and easily that he had at the beginning. One fact for this is probably that as the game goes on, you do tend to have more choices, but I think a bigger factor at stake is that a long game such as this causes decision fatigue. In basic terms, this Mm. phenomenon happens because the human brain takes glucose to run, and making decisions in a high-order process that takes takes, like this takes tons of glucose. As the brain runs out of glucose, sustaining that process becomes harder and harder sleep also seems to help reset this ability <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that point how do board gamers evolve avoid decision fatigue for these long games eat healthy snacks that can provide a steady release of energy like fruits and whole grains play board games earlier in the day if possible and have a strategy in mind <laughs> when you go into a game so that you make fewer decisions early on to save that energy for later in the game when moves really matter hope you enjoy the info cheers justin r so, so basically, go to bed at a sensible time and eat well, <laughs> says, says Dad. <laughs> no, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Just a, a board game evening where you you've got you know your copy of a, a Feast for Odin that you want to play, and you start at eight a.m. and everyone's kind of like fingering grains into their mouths, and then about halfway through the game, you all have a nap. Uh, mm. <laughs> I imagine that's like going to be my life in a retirement home. <laughs> <laughs> is, Honestly, that, is that sort of thing i described it as a joke but doesn't it sound quite good just it's, like it's not bad and you know what the glucose thing that actually that he mentions and your brain getting tired it's a thing that in some of the physical things that i do now like fencing and uh, and boxing and things where i'm doing body mechanics i've never done before and someone says to me like think about this move your body here do there are coaches, people who are teaching me who say after a while you won't be able to do this and it won't be your body that's tired. You won't be able to concentrate on trying to move your limbs in a certain way anymore because it's new to you. You'll just get brain fatigue instead of body fatigue. And it feels like a similar thing. I just get told like this is a thing. We can't teach you all of the new things to do at once because it's not just about coordination. It's about your brain learning to do a thing and thinking about doing a thing. And it, it can only do so much of that in a day. 
Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I've started boxing again as well, and the when you the 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 instructor she told us, you know, like you know, stand like this, punch like this, breathe like this, jink your head from side to side, squat like this, and then as soon as you have. It was fine until we got yeah. to the class where she gave us more to think about than I could hold in yeah. my head at any one moment. Yes. And as soon as that happened, the whole thing became twice as tiring because yes. I, I was never at rest ever, which was interesting. I mean, I've so talked a lot about the... A... Oh, you, no, go, you. Sorry, go on. No, I was literally no, going to tell no, a story I've told no. before. <laughs> um, I, I was talking with uh, my friend Ed, Ed Stern, video games writer, and I can't remember how we got onto this, but it somehow, it just became, there was this brief tangent into military history, and he was saying there are reasons why officers in military units uh, were often not given rifles, because uh, shooting at the enemy was such a, a thing that occupied so much of your brain space that it prevented you from thinking about and making other decisions. So it was like, wow. take the rifles away, you know, and they can think about deployment and all of the other stuff that you're doing rather than the amount of cognitive thought it it takes to, like, get into cover and look at people and think about shooting them, which is a, an activity that, funnily enough, like, requires a lot of focus and concentration. Yeah, we have... Uh I mean, it's 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 absolutely not the same. But we've finally now got to the point with Shut Up and Sit Down, where with the you know convention coming up for sharks and then merchandise and other projects and uh, and a variety of other things we've got that we hope to bring to people um, in the next few months, we've started fragmenting that if one of us has a meeting with someone and they will say to us, you know, do, do you want to know about this? And we'll say no because there's we've all become deeply aware that we have like a limited amount of brain, but that's never a consideration when I'm playing a board game i'm never like i i should not think about this because it will tire me out too much yeah interesting yeah uh i am in amber if anyone else has i i love this stuff we, we lap this stuff up if anyone else has information on the psychology of fun board games exhaustion strategy uh anything like that then uh then do write into contact at shut up and sit down.com speaking of uh, our good friend ed stern paul uh video game writer um you are dashing off for breakfast with him aren't you I'm going to meet him, uh, sit opposite him, and put food in my mouth. Your mouth? Yeah, that's where the food goes. That's the first stage. I've always said that's the secret to a good breakfast. What are you going to eat? I'm well aware that as soon as we stop this uh, podcast, you have to sprint out of the door, so I'm kind of just smiling and asking you banal questions now. It might be French toast. You know what? I like French toast. I like Uh, most things that are French, actually. I like most things that are eggs, but the French Revolution was awful. I just finished listening to the Revolutions podcast on the French Revolution, and uh, it was terrible, Paul. Everyone who started that revolution was killed by the revolution. Yeah. I I don't know if it was a a flippant remark from you, but I think you should take it back. No, it's it's a fair point, and it's actually one of the horrible things about revolution and mobs and what happens when you try and articulate a bunch of groups a big group of people to sort of be actively violent and destabilizing it's you know you don't you can't always control where these things go no i was fascinated watching the arab spring kind of or learning about it after it happened and it's the the continuing story is the people who topple governments aren't the same people who have the political nous to keep power after the government falls so they always get true they often get trampled on not always but often yeah Go and enjoy your French toast bowl. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, then there's probably no need to review it on iTunes because we're probably going to have to reboot our iTunes account soon for reasons that are tedious. But hey, uh, why not go and watch some awesome videos on our YouTube channel where the majority of our effort goes? Why not read amazing written reviews such as the new uh, RPG column that we've got, which is just reviewing hit after hit after hit? Um, why not donate to Shut Up and Sit Down? Do you think this podcast is worth a dollar? Um, I do. Um, I've staked my entire career, life, and reputation on it. <laughs> wow. If you, well, it's true, isn't it? Uh, I, and, uh, and I w- would like to not be proven a failure. If you would like to not prove me a failure, then you can donate to Shut Up and Sit Down's continued existence <laughs> on shutupandsitdown.com slash donate. Just set it up to take a couple of dollars a month out of your account. Or, well, not that, because we make almost no money on that. But, you know, three, four dollars. And uh, you never have to think about it again. You just get a warm, fuzzy feeling once a month. And you get access to our donor newsletter. Let's not forget that, Paul. That's, a, that's like one of your favorite things to write. 
actually, that's true. That just has secret tidbits about our lives or what's coming soon. Like, you know, inevitably, three or four weeks before it happens, we'll tell you, like, what we might make a video of or just what our lives are like, which uh, I think could be quite nice. Yeah, then there's also a touch of uh, every month I'll go, hey guys, this is what's coming up, and I'll name four board games, and you will never see them on the front page of Shut Up and Sit Down, because in the next newsletter I'll be like, yeah, those games were bad. (laughs) What a tragedy. Um, This is all what you're missing out if you don't donate to Shut Up and Sit Down. Right, Paul, I'm going to release you to your French toast. Uh, Uh, Thank thank you very much, Paul. I will see you on the next podcast. I'll see you on the next podcast and soon in Vancouver for the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo 2017. (gasps) Boom! Bye.